When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Hey there. There we go. That works. (laughs) There we are. Hello. Good. How are you I'm doing? I'm looking for my car today. So <laughs> I was awful. supposed to be set up um, at my friend's house, but traffic was what it was. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, my kids got a my kids got a a new group that they joined, and uh, so I I'm outside there uh, where that is. So yeah, this is a, the first one in a very long time I've had to do from the car. But I'm really glad that we uh, at least we are both in a car. Listen, so, it's, I was like, what in the ill-fated <laughs> nonsense is this? It was, why are so many hey, things coming out? Uh, you know, if, if Jerry Seinfeld can do two comedians in a car, why can't we do like two poets in the car? It's like, right, you know, two it works. poets in two different cars, in two different <laughs> in states, two different states. <laughs> at two different times. How about that? <laughs> Love it. Well, with that said, uh, Welcome to TPQ20. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to hang out with me. I'm glad we finally got a time and date on the schedule. Um, I always like to start off by saying we know who you are, but our audience may be new to you. So if you were to give the bio that will not be on the back of Apocrypha, uh, who would you say you are? Oh, um, I'm an artist that doesn't know how to quit always finding a new way to do another thing. Uh, I'm currently uh, working on an album with my band. I have a blues band. I'm making a film, finishing a third book of poetry, and I'm working on some essays. So, plus I have a full-time job as a program director of a writing residency and a child who is 13 and a half. So, um, you know, I'm busy. In short, my bio is for flame is busy. <laughs> wow. All right. So yeah, you've got you've got a little bit going on. Uh, let's just start with the blues album though. Um, so I, I it's funny because I'm actually I just started recording demos for, for my next album as well. So I love that. Um, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but so uh, with poets who have or who with poets who are multifaceted, I also kinda always kinda like to ask the chicken or the egg question. So mm-hmm. for you, uh, does music come before the love of, of words as poetry? Uh, definitely music is first. I've always been a singer. Um, my, my degree is in music. Uh, I don't oh. have a degree in writing um, and not poetry. Um, I've always written and journaled and written po- poems for myself, but I was already studying music by the time I, I started taking poetry seriously. And so, okay. and music is like my foundational love or maybe performance uh, is my foundational love. 
Interesting. Because that's, huh, okay. So <laughs> where does, I guess, where, when it comes to performance and music, then where does it start for you? How, how young were you when you uh, grabbed, uh, you know, the uh, spatula from the kitchen and started singing songs? Uh, well, as young as I can remember, we joined, we were raised in a fundamentalist Christian church. So we didn't have secular music. There was no radio. There was no TV. Um, So there was a lot of singing. And there is something I think, I think, uh, really fundamental to my, my spirituality, my spiritual beliefs is like the power of the collective. And so voices joining together in song has it always has a special place. I'm a choir nerd. Um, I was in choir by the time I was in third grade and went all the way with choir. Um, so there's something there's something about music that is we went on road trips and would listen to music for hours and hours along the you know the desert roads of Arizona and Texas. Like it, music <laughs> is in in the 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 smell of Sunday dinner, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's Ooh, I love songs, that. there's the songs that we would sing, you know, um, whenever I start cleaning my house, here come the songs from church again, you know, it's like, when the spirit of the Lord moves, you know, it's a great sweeping song <laughs> <laughs> to dance like David dance. <laughs> awesome. So did you, did you, so like I, I started playing shows when I was about 13 um, when did you take the stage for the first time, kind of outside of the like the family and church world? When did the stage become a thing for you? Definitely in third grade with choir. Um, but as a solo, okay. as a soloist, it wasn't until high school. Uh, there was a a band. I went to a performing arts high school, and so uh, there was a band oh. class, and they needed a singer to sing "Let It Be" at an assembly, and that was sort of my first chance to you know, prepare with musicians, with instrumentalists instead of other singers and do something as a solo singer. Um, And yeah, I mean, but, you know, as a choir nerd, it's like, who's going to get the solo and, you know, who's going (laughs) to sign in front of the group? So I think I was, I was always reaching and ready, wanting it for sure, even if I wasn't ready. (laughs) Very cool. And was it always for you as a, you know, now as a, as for you as a musician now is it mostly blues or is there are there other 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 genres as well that's a great question um it's so funny because i over the pandemic i started um i i for the first time have a band and not just like me and whoever i can get to play with me usually my best friend who's played everything from like a coffee can full of change to you know a kazoo um xylophone ukulele (laughs) Uh, she's picked up any instrument I've I've asked her to for for the for the Amazing. culture. Um, so <laughs> the four of us are are now a band, and we've been practicing. And I've been working on this album um, that we are recording now. So it's been really focused on being on identifying and branding as a blues band. But I have been. I mean, I put out a, an album that I called Intellipop because it was like intentionally pop pop style music. Um, okay with like, it's it's very lyrics based. Uh, my last musical project was actually um, a set of songs that I, I created from poetry, from other people's poems. And it was this, this multimedia exhibit that I did in 2019. And so returning, like, when I go back and look, I'm like, actually, no, <laughs> blues has been, I, I studied jazz. Um, I started writing the blues in college um, 
pretty seriously. So many of my songs are blues. And I do right now, actually, the exploration is that blues is at the root of almost all American music. <laughs> so oh, without um, question. what happens when you like when you when you uh, whittle down a cover to be a blues cover? Because you discovered like the root, the the blues root at at the you know mm. like I'm I'm working on um I'm working on a blues version of of Genuine's Pony. That's a little <laughs> heads up. Amazing. <laughs> um, for our next album, which will be a series of cover songs that where we take it and make a blues cover of a a popular song. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Who are you? Who are your favorite blues artists? Because I grew Whoa. up like I, this is this is awesome for me because. I grew up sitting in front of my, you know, my dad's speakers listening to Muddy Waters and like mm -hmm. Charlie Patton and Robert Johnson and like going to as many blues concerts as I could over the years. So who are your like foundational blues singers? Who are the favorites for you? You know, what's so funny is um, my mama was white. <laughs> so the first blues that I was introduced to was actually like James Taylor, um, Eric okay. Clapton. And through Eric Clapton, yep. B.B. King. So the Eric Clapton, B.B. King album um, came out sometime during my childhood. Um, yeah. And it was a great collabo. Um, when I started studying it, um, you know, I, I, I love, um, um, sorry, Screaming Jay Hawkins was once somebody oh. that I discovered, um, but I didn't know about, um, you know, when I started dissecting Elvis I have an Elvis poem and discovering you know that um Big Mama Thornton and those sort of like screaming blues singers of mm -hmm. the, like um even like Eartha Kitt's blues music Nina Simone's blues um I would say Nina Simone is a huge influence because my work is so lyric focused as a poet mm -hmm. <laughs> my 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 songs are so about the lyrics about the story that I'm telling um, that her her play on a blues structure, the way she breaks down, I put a spell on you, for instance, is just like how to make a how to make it become its own thing, become a become a poem of sorts, you know? Yeah. So those are just a few. I was also born on Aretha Franklin's birthday. Um, I think Elton John <laughs> sings the blues. He has the same birthday, you know. So so um, it's, but right. it's funny when I really go back to the first blues I heard. It would have had to be like. Um, um, well, I'm a steamroller, baby, mm. and I'm bound to roll all over you. Some James Taylor, like with my mom. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's funny. My dad, when I was 12, I started playing guitar when I was about 12. And I I bought a guitar because Kurt Cobain died. And everybody who was that, you know, bought a guitar because Kurt Cobain died. You need to learn to play. And right. Three my chords. dad, my Yep. And my dad was like, no, here, here are these Stevie Ray Vaughan albums. Here are these Stevie Ray Vaughan albums. I think you should start this direction. I was like, but, but I don't like, <laughs> so I, I love, I love the sound. God, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it really is. The, I mean, it's the foundation of, of everything that has become music. You can't, if you strip away, like, you know, you strip away the blind lemon Jeffersons and the muddy waters and you, you, the, a lot of the music kind of starts going away a little bit. Yeah. Um, so uh I asked Ariel Marie this as well. Um, when you're writing poetry, uh are you writing with a song in mind? Um and is it different for you on the stage when you perform your pieces than it is on page? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, 
unless I'm writing about the artist, unless I'm writing about the song, like it's hard because this this next collection that I'm working like deep in edits on is um, about my ghosts and, and, and Whitney Prince and Aretha are three of my ghosts. Mm. And so I've been, so I'm like, haven't I been listening? Like I've been so immersed in their music, but it's not, it's not a song that I'm listening to, to write the poem. Um, okay. So I would say actually that I have, so, having not grown up with tv and and music um sort of distracting in the background right. all the time i can't not listen so okay. i'm the kind of person who like the tv is on and we're walking somebody's talking to me and i can't hear them <laughs> because the tv is on you know what i mean like i just can't dissect it so i i don't listen to anything when i'm really writing um especially okay. when i'm writing, because it's already i'm listening to the voice in my head i'm i'm writing down what i'm hearing um, but, and it is, the, the stage question is funny because I think the stage shows, the audience shows where and how the poem succeeds and fails. It shows the holes. It shows, um, the potential for how a, la a line is going to land or an idea mm -hmm. is going to hit or a punchline is gonna, you know, whether it's effective or not. Um, so I count on, I trust the stage and the performance experience of a poem to, to finalize or to get it to a final draft, at least. So one that I'm willing to like put out, when I, when I know that that song is sort of, that song, that poem is sort of <laughs> in my pocket, right? When I have it in me, it's because I know that like, there aren't places where I'm hiccuping over the story I'm trying to tell or or the flow of the image or whatever it is. Um, and what looks really clever as a turn of phrase on the page can be the thing that stumbles over my tongue every time I, I try to read it. And so mm. is it worth, and then, then comes a very conscious decision of is it worth what it's doing on the page to know that it will never quite flow that smoothly on the stage? Well, and then are you, and I always like to use Joel Leon as a reference for this one, because when he and I talked about something similar, um, he talked about how uh, the audience for him was kind of a gauge as well, but that he would work on, you know, kind of rework the poem according to the audience. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you someone who likes to stick uh, like word for word or are you someone who you know since you are so comfortable on stage are you someone who takes advantage of that and can kind of riff on what you on, on the original piece you know <laughs> I didn't think I did <laughs> I thought I had a good memory <clears throat> I thought it was word for word I had it down it was so good it was my body my friend my best friend who's been um, in my band and in my performance life for a long time, we came up on the slam scene together. Um, she laughs because she's like, there are certain times where I know you're like really swept up in the moment because you just start bebopping all over your boat and I don't know where you're <laughs> going to go or how you're going to bring it back, but you manage to bring it back every time. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I've been told that I, that I ad lib quite a bit and I don't, I, I really do count on being like, those are the moments where I'm swept up in the spirit. I certainly know that I've, um, you know, in the slam world, I've had to like, I'm dropping the poems. So I'm going to make some shit up and it's going to have to fly. <laughs> and it does or it doesn't, <laughs> you know? Um, 
but I think, yeah, I think that I, I, I don't, I'm not a word for word kind of gal. <laughs> All right. Um, on a change of pace, uh, your love of unicorns. <laughs> um, so I, I also, uh, I, we have a, we have definitely a love of unicorns in our house. Uh, we have quite a few of them. Um, and I did recently, I was trying to, I teach seventh grade and I was trying to come up with an informational essay example for my students. Uh, and I have been using chat, uh, the, like the chat GPT uh, and some of the AI stuff to create some examples. And I asked chat GPT to write me a paper on the history of unicorns. Uh, and according to chat GPT in the 15th century, unicorns were real. So, um, you know, I, I think it's about to make a comeback somewhere. I mean, of course, you know, it's, it's, if, if AI can say it's real, it must be real. Listen, uh, <laughs> we're one step away anyway. <laughs> so, uh, for you, because it is the last line of, of your bio everywhere, um, what is the magic trick that will make you a unicorn and why a unicorn? Oh, great, great turn. Um, why a unicorn? Um, okay, so have you watched My Little Pony, like the new My Little oh, Pony? Yeah. Friendship yes. is magic. Okay, yes. We have a, um, our, our kids, our kids 12, so we're with the yep, 13 and yeah. right. So, yes, yes, <laughs> you were deep up in it. So, I'm actually a unicorn Pegasus, I'm an alicorn. Um, yes. and I've already, I've already, the secret is, is that I've already, I've already earned the, the unicorn horn. Um, but you have to be magic enough to see it. So ah. it's, I mean, there was a point at which it was like, this is no longer, and, and you'll see that the, the bio that's starting to come out more is, um, going to be around a jumpsuit and kicks, fresh kicks, because that's a new iteration. But the, the magic trick was, um, the magic trick, the moment I was willing to say I'm magic and like public <laughs> and be like, I, I have learned that I am magic. And it was like, you know, <laughs> like the, the, the sprinkle rainbow went over me. And um, I don't know, it, it, it's like, why a unicorn is because fairies can be mean um unicorns are healers mm. by almost any myth they're healers and they're mainly healers just by being um you don't have to you don't have to vampire them or sacrifice them to access their healing qualities and they they commune with the stars i'm a big fan of space and the stars i commune with the stars um so it felt very much like, like my child is an elf. Like my child is very much an elf. It's always been an elf. Um, there's something like little brownie, elfy, fairy-like about this child, um, but also a lion, right? So there's there's a sort of like, yeah, a dandelion, a little dandelion fairy elf. <laughs> um, so there's a personification for me of this, like my inner self, my higher being, is this sort of calm, glowing, I'm a black unicorn. So there's this sort of like 
like so you know that vansa black like where there's like an almost absence but within yeah. there is all the possibilities of a million galaxies like that kind of magic oh that's a beautiful answer that You've ne i've never you. been asked that thank you <laughs> <laughs> well and i and i will say and you, you know i i first met you at the portland awp uh mm -hmm. during the greatest karaoke poetry battle ever <laughs> It was um, <laughs> I, I believe it was it was uh, I was I was part of the University of Hell team uh, and there was Right Bloody and Clash Books. I feel like there was one other in there. Button might have found a way in there. I think there was one other team in there. But I you were a showstopper at that one. Mm -hmm. And I remember both both Courtney and I, uh, it was you had a really powerful moment in a night of incredible poets. Um, <laughs> It was it was a beautiful and kind of show-stopping reading. Uh, I don't often go out of my way to like go up and like tell people things. I'm pretty shy in, in like large social settings, but I remember like I had to come up and, and actually like tell you it was a good piece and introduce myself. And I really I loved your work. Uh, and right bloody is right bloody is such a great home. Uh, Derek is is one of the world's best. Um, and so I, I love that that was where you started. So from 2017 to now, uh, mm. with the new book on the horizon, um, who are you as a poet now that you weren't as a poet in 2017? Wow. Okay. Um, well, in order to write my second book, I had to give myself a master's level in formal poetry, um, mm. master's level education. I had to... I had to work so hard for that book. It took a long time. I had actually been inspired to start the book um, in late 2014. And then in early 2015, my mom died. And so the book that became my the Ordinary Cruelty Through Right Bloody was poems that were written during and, and through that time. Um, and there was an urgency there that just, it, it swept away my whole life, really. Um, and so when I came back in 2017, I got a residency thanks to Ordinary Cruelty um, and the work there. And I had already written the book. And so I had this freedom, this time to really sit and, and, and go back to this research project. And it really started with the, um, you know, those, those articles that come across, that's like 23 words for love and romance that are untranslatable in English. <laughs> well, I had been getting like, like several of these were just coming across my feed for some reason. And I kept being, I, I kept just being enamored by the words. I'm a, I'm a big word nerd. Um, my whole family, it, my, my mom was literally a doctorate in philosophy of language. So we grew up like, <laughs> what does it mean right. to say what you say and do other people understand you the way you mean and all those, wow. all those kinds of unanswerable questions. It was my childhood. So I was so fascinated by these different words and these different languages. And at first I thought I would just do a series of poems that were inspired by the words or something like that. I hadn't really, hadn't really formulated. And then it just kind of sat there for a few years while, um, while I was deep in my grief. And that's when My Little Pony um, saved our lives probably. I, we did a lot of watching My Little Pony. Um, so when I came back to it, I, I, I still didn't know what the project was gonna be, but I was so heartbroken and I was so deep in my grief and I wanted to make something magical. I wanted to, I wanted to make a spell to cure my heartbreak and to imagine a love 
that would be, that wouldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. And so it became, it became, how do I tell a story? How do I tell a love story between these two fictional characters? And then, you know, I'm a church kid. So it brought in the Bible of like, Song of Solomon was my first erotica. So, you know, I wanted to make it this beautiful, sensual, erotic thing without it being sexy, without it being yeah. about sex. I wanted it to be really, really gorgeous. I wanted it to be the prettiest thing I could make. And so um, the whole book, almost all, all the poems are contrapuntal poems where one side is the beloved's voice and one side's the lover's voice. Contrapuntal poetry is really fucking hard to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um there's sestinas and a, there's a sestina a sonnet a quatrain a syncane um an ode and there's elegies and epistles there's it's it's a master's level <laughs> education in formal poetry and so yeah. i had to learn those forms before i could do anything with them hold on just a moment my best friend is now we, we have to go to band practice actually just in, just a little bit um so uh, she's loading up back there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I had to, um, I was lucky to be at residency at Hedgebrook and have access, their, their librarian is willing to get you whatever you need. I had research books on Queen of Sheba and King, King Solomon. And, um, and then I did a really deep etymology, etymological research into each of the words and the cultural use. And, um, and so it's a story told in verse it's a love story told in verse of a beloved and their lover finding each other falling in love um coming into conflict and resolving it in in the way that means for this story um it's propelled by it's propelled by um he's also in his car <laughs> and i've talked about you like <laughs> <laughs> um it's propelled by uh these words in other languages that i've that, that i've redefined poetically so I've taken poetic license to redefine them, to propel the story along. And it's, um, other than my kid, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever made. I worked really hard on it for about five years. It was a lot of work. And, oh. and when I say I, I worked really hard, I meant like back and forth. I had a great editor that I worked with who was like, you are using this word this way. It doesn't quite <laughs> work that way. I talked to some people who know about this culture and I'm like, wow, you went ab above and beyond. Um, so in order to write this book, Ordinary Cruelty was very much a like, a moment of like that raw, hopefully relatable, just grief. I was, I was, I was so broken open by that loss. It was the biggest, most traumatic thing that had ever happened to me. That's and, true. um, you know, my mom died in February. Six months later, my guru died. Um, six months later, my uh, Prince died. And I saw Prince in concert and I knew we were going to lose him. So it was like reconciling this like feeling of I'm, I'm haunted by people who are about to die. <laughs> you know, like there's just, yeah, there was so much to that experience um, that really swept away my entire life. And so this was sort of the beginning of me believing that I was magic enough to heal myself and magic enough to wish joy and pleasure and delight and love back into my world. Oh, well, thank you for that answer. I love that. Thanks for asking. Um, well, yeah. And as we kind of shift toward the end here, um, 
I always like to ask what's coming up next for you, but I think there are like a thousand things coming <laughs> up next for you. Uh, so, so after, after this new baby book baby is out in the world, uh, what is, what is the next project? Um, well, there's a, I'm, I'm having Irish twins as they call them. Um, there's definitely another book that's almost done. It's called the ghost formerly known as Prince and other hauntings. And it's about during the pandemic, I really welcomed in the hauntings, the ghosts, the things that were sort of weighing on me and weighing on us as we lost almost a million people and didn't deal with that collective grief. And so that's a poetry collection that is going to be finding a home over this next year. Um, but I think I'm working on an essay collection titled Ooh. Motherhood is Shit. Um, I think that's right. about like raising this Black queer trans kid in this fucked up world um as a black queer non-binary person you know like i love that yeah and i think i've, I've written an essay called motherhood is shit <laughs> i think i'm going to continue writing those kind of essays um awesome. and see what comes of it very cool well thank you so much for hanging out today on tpq 20 uh go enjoy band practice tonight i will um, i'm Super excited for the cover album because I really want to know what these songs sound like stripped down <laughs> to their bare bones. So I am really excited to eventually hear that. Um, thank you so much for hanging out on TPQ20 tonight and have a great rest of the day. You too. I'll talk to you soon, hopefully. Have a good one. Absolutely. Have a good one from your car to my car. I'll see you <laughs> later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.